When you talk to people about their care in rural and remote Queensland, there is one consistent in their feedback. They all have glowing praise for the clinicians living and working in their community. These projects aim to empower and build workforces in some of our smallest communities, helping provide equitable care with a whole lot of heart. Thanks very much, Shelley, and, uh, and thanks for uh, uh, letting us uh, present today. Uh, before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on land which we meet uh, and uh, pay uh, respects to elders past, present and emerging. Here's that light is bright, isn't it? Um, okay, so um, I've just noticed my um, in interests over there. I think it's really important that um, you sort of put a little bit of a background from me and where I come from. So first and foremost, I'm a clinician. Uh, and uh, I have almost sort of fallen into the role um, of medical administration by default. Um, however, it's one of the key foundations of how we actually proceed and develop um, our systems going forward. It's actually to have strong clinical background. I'm very fortunate um, in having really good support with the team Stanthorpe. Um, I'd like to pay acknowledgement uh, to my colleague Kay Knight, um, our clinical integrated care, um, community integrated care pharmacist, um, which has been a role in development um, over the last few years. And, and Kay's um, commitment to that um, has, has been extraordinary to actually learn and develop. Um, she's our um, uh, a research ambassador. Uh, she helps to you know, develop our service evaluation protocols and the like. Um, and, uh, and she's really keen and engaged because she's a community member as well. Unfortunately, she can't be here to co-present with me today, um, but just I'd like to acknowledge her work um, on this project as well. So the MOE model, medical outreach, education and training. Um, so being in Stanthorpe, we thought we had to come up with a catchy title um, and go with the whole, you know, wine in the granite belt type thing. Realistically, Stanthorpe, in terms of attracting junior doctors and doctors in general, um, you know, has, has been reasonably successful over the years. Uh, the challenge is how do we actually grow and sustain our, our workforce? Um, the problem is we looked at what was the issues within rural practice and the issues in rural practice associated with the fact that historically the funding models have been around service. Um, if you go back to 2005, you look at the, um, the issues around Patel, um, Mocker 1, all of that upheaval and in 2007 the development of the Rural Journalist Training Program looked at how do we actually then extend that um, into what does it mean to um, develop a robust and sustainable training program in a place like Stanthorpe. It's not the same as any other community. There are certain factors and, and, and issues that we actually need to identify, but then also try and um, put that into perspective that you know, we aren't the same as other communities. So, so what are the key things we need to identify to make sure that once we get junior doctors into a rural area and doctors in training on those training pathways, how do we keep them there? So this is an idea about the focus that we have. Rather than turning on its head service, actually trying to focus on training. Training leads to quality and safety um, and then of course if you can actually make sure those key foundations and tenants are actually in place, um, then you actually sort of get a really good service. So, so that's how we tried to sort of you know, take this and really turn it on its head. Um, obviously you can see that you know, we worked on things for Hub within a Hub, we looked at the other service models and how we can actually implement um, a, a really sustainable strong process. Um, some of you might be aware of the transition to college-led training, the, the concept of rural journalist um, training programs um, and the real work over the last 15 years since the implementation 
of um, the Rural General Training Program in Queensland, um, the development of um, the Bike College Agreement and the Collingrove Agreement um, to actually look to uh, college-led training, which will actually start in 2023. The Collingrove Agreement is a really good opportunity for us to actually get a standard of what it means to be a rural journalist um, and, and also looking at how we address the community needs. And so when we look at that, we actually find that the workforce models, is the workforce model actually attending to what um, the, workforce that the workforce needs are for the community? and how that actually links to the integrated nature of it. So, so in Stanthorpe, for example, we've got senior medical officers, we've got interns, we've got uh, funded G GP registrars through the Rural Generous Training Program. Um, we have obviously some supportive factors, you know, look at clinical support time for the SMOs, um, which obviously integrates into the ability to supervise and educate and train uh, the junior doctors coming through. Um, then we have the extended outreach opportunities uh, from Stanthorpe and the relationships with our colleagues in places like Texas and Inglewood and Milmerin. Um, and, and so whether or not we provide proximate, on the ground, remote support. Um, and so, so how do we actually make all that work and does that actually work for, um, for the service needs of our community? So you see this rather interesting sort of interplay there. Uh, and also how do we manage the challenges um, of things like maternity paternity leave? Well, I actually think it's a great thing to see that when you get junior doctors um, and uh, doctors coming and staying in Stanthorpe, that they have their kids in Stanthorpe. Um, and, and I think that's actually a really good sign um, of a robust, sustainable workforce. Um, so we're really happy with that. But the problem is we still want to make sure that we keep them there because we know that the portability of the workforce these days is actually very high. You see all of these stakeholders in, engaged also in that supervision and support model as well. So, you know, when you're actually going through and identifying, you know, all of these linkages, it takes a lot of work. So, as I said before, I'm actually a clinician. Um, and, and actually to try and actually make sense of all these systems has been a big challenge for me over the years. I've been very lucky that I've been you know, well supported by colleagues um, and um, in multiple different professionals. Um, obviously, Shelley, you know, um, we've, we've had a bit to do over the time in terms of nurse generalist training and options and things like that as well, um, allied health sphere, um, but of course, you know, uh, colleagues right across the country that I can actually pick their brains on, well, how do we make things work? How do we actually get and, and, and keep our trainees. In terms of the way that we looked at um, the MOE, so we actually tried to do a quality and safety process. Uh, we looked at an ethics approval for the, for the evaluation of the service we provide. Um, and we also looked at the background. So one of the key things we looked at from our trainees is say, well, are we actually meeting the guidance of the curriculum? So it was to some extent a little bit easy, and yes, acknowledging um, you know, my engagement with ACRAM. But all the registrars we have, just at this point in time, um, were ACRAM trainees. So we looked at, are we actually meeting the tenants of the curriculum? Um, and by and large, we're actually meeting all eight of those tenants. Um, a couple of areas were a little bit sort of short of the mark, but that actually gives us the ability to actually think, well, if they don't think that they're getting that part of the curriculum, what do we actually need to do to actually put that resource in place to make it happen? So that was the first thing. You know, if we're not meeting curriculum requirements, then we need to change. So the training experience, and looking at the training experience in, in rural areas, as I said, we talk about training and supervision and workload and service. That's intricately linked. So some of these comments might, you think, link over that training but also the supervision issues as well and, and how it affects service. And so in rural areas, we know that there's, there's tensions, we know that there's service issues. But getting that feedback from the trainees is really important. 
we can address it. We can address those issues early. Um, if there's one site as part of the outreach issue that I need to uh, of the outreach model, um, I could go to them and say, well, what's going on? What's happening? What, what's the service strains? You know, is it actually a nursing support issue? How can we link with the um, uh, the support services within the district, um, and and sort of actually have discussions about it rather than actually sort of having someone um, you know stuck in Inglewood or Texas. And thinking, oh, Jesus, you know, everything, the world's, the world's just coming on me and I don't know what to do. So we actually need to ask our trainees and say, well, you know, are you going OK? Um, what are the issues? And let's see if we can actually fix them. So some of the themes there, obviously, we also look at individual issues came up as well, supervision and learning, learning styles. So do we actually need to then support the supervisors, the trainers? Um, how do we actually put resources into there? Were there clear expectations? Was I actually providing um, you know, good directions? when I was actually giving inductions um, to our registrars, um, when I'm actually having my dealings with the trainers and the supervisors, you know, in terms of what my expectations are to meet the, the training requirements of the registrars. So there's, so there's actually been a, a really big learning experience for me as well by actually performing this feedback and evaluation process. Of course, we then look at other resources, um, you know, train the trainer, teaching on the run, so all those sorts of things. It all links into um, keeping and removing those barriers, uh, keeping registrars in rural areas and removing those barriers from, their stay, from them staying, which is really important. So, when obviously the workload, and listen, rural areas, um, no two days are the same. Um, it's an amazing diversity of, of, of uh, patient presentations, of the patients that you actually see and across different communities. Um, the, the patient demographics are different as well. So, so you're actually going to get a significant um, uh, dissonance at times between what you're actually going to see in different practices. And that's what makes being a rural generalist really um, uh, exciting practice to actually be in and you're constantly challenged. Um, but the professional um, res respect that you actually have from, um, from the other team members working in those areas is really important. And we get that value, that, that sense of professional value that the registrars um, report to you um, is actually being reinforced time and time again. Um, and they know that they're providing a really good community service. But they also recognise that our communities are vulnerable. Um, and I think that's particularly with COVID. That's been a thing. You know, we actually did a recent survey um, through the Rural Doctors Foundation, which I, um, just as an aside, um, and they reported uh, three times um, the effect of any of the natural disasters in the last three years on COVID on the ability then of patients to access um, their GPs. So we know that there's been significant issues in the last two years, and our trainees have been right in the middle of that. So the training frameworks, some of the future challenges, obviously transition to college day training I've identified. Um, funding, there's been some 92 exemption funding issues we've had to, to massage in, in Stanthorpe, but, um, but certainly we've got another year or so for us to sort those issues out. The industrial equity issue, so um, also with my union hat on, which, which I acknowledged, um, so we need to make sure that uh, rural journalism um, is acknowledged. Um, well, we know that general practice is a specialty. We know that rural journalists provide contextually safe based care within rural and remote communities um, under the specialty of general practice. Um, it is a, a state-acknowledged specialty, but it doesn't get paid the same um, as any other specialty in, in city areas, in metro areas. Why is that? 
You know, so why is that discrimination in place within enshrined legislation? So I think there's, and, and that's seen within our colleagues. Um, and I think we need to value the practice for, you know, for, the, for the service that it provides. Um, and that's, you know, so we've got to look at those barriers and how we actually try and remove those going forward. So obviously the viability of general practice as well. Um, so the, the framework that we have in Queensland Health is robust, it is strong. Um, and I do believe that we have the ability to actually take that um, even further. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.